Hello, and welcome to another episode of Media Literate. Uh, we are your co-hosts. We're not tired. You're tired. Um, I can't even say that. I'm tired. Laura just committed to grad school times. More grad school. Yes. Uh, so she's just like... Uh, I'm chilling. Freewheeling. Yeah. Taking Woo! it easy on the yeah. lazy river of... Um, <laughs> grad school work yeah yeah (laughs) yes um i'm kim henry i'm laura broman this is media literate uh a collaborative podcast run by a bunch of grad students uh that's actually winding down i know in a really um beautiful and probably well-timed and sad and sweet way um so this is you know, uh, you know what? Let me not get into this. I'm, I'm so. As soon as I mention the the future, my brain immediately becomes like sentimental mush. What we're talking about today is really um, not sentimental mush, but very future oriented. Mm. Have uh, one of our favorite guests back on, um, Brie from our cohort. I forgot their last <laughs> Bree name. Sonner. Oh my Bree God. <laughs> I'm not tired. You're tired. <laughs> no, we have Bree Sonner um, on this week. And it's always really fun when they come on because uh, they bring in a whole new element of media that I'm personally not very familiar with, uh, game studies. Laura has an amount of familiarity, um, a good amount of More familiarity. familiarity than you, but that's still not very much. Okay, cool. I You made a face when I said that, and I was like, have I insulted you by saying <laughs> you're not familiar with games, or have I way overcommitted you for the rest of this episode? I should have just not said anything and just like kept that face and let you wonder. But Oh, yeah, that would be excellent for either <laughs> the listeners or our editors, whoever yeah. has to deal with it first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But before we get into gaming, once again, um, in this really cool way, depictions of resistance mm. in video games and how agency in game design creates positive, negative, true or false imaginations of resistance. Before we do all that, Laura's going to talk about something that um, feels relevant (laughs) (laughs) in our favorite segment of the show, Cannon Fodder. Woo! Ba-bang! Ba-bang! Wait, what what did we do again? I don't know. We really should have stuck with the air horns. Um... Yeah, so what do you watch this week? I this is a new, a brand new canon to introduce to the fold. Very exciting. Uh, we're diving into the TV canon uh, today, which is a much smaller canon, I think, is only a few specific shows uh, mm-hmm. that like people are like, you haven't seen this. And, and so- like our TV canon is different from other people's TV. Right. Like, and whenever anyone's like, oh, I haven't seen Buffy, I'm kind of like, have you lived? Yeah, exactly. You exactly. call yourself a scholar? So um, I have been watching The Wire. I watched the first, I finished the first season uh, yesterday. Um, So I'm on season two now. And you're still still into it. I'm, you know, I still am. I I assume I'm not going to finish it. I'm just going to taper off at some point and then never come back to it. But that's okay because I've now checked the box. And that's what matters with this segment. (laughs) You know, I, because I was thinking about this, actually. It's kind of beautiful. When I moved to LA, I had a conversation with like, a very like film bro-y film bro who was like, mm-hmm. and I think the the various of the things that he judged me like for not having seen, the ones that I can remember were Reservoir Dogs, 2001 Space Odyssey, okay. The Sopranos, and The Wire. 
And now, over the course of this show, I have watched all of those. So I am, I'm done. I did it. Um, But yeah, so The Wire is, along with The Sopranos, I think considered like one of the TV canons. And I think that's, I don't know, it was hard to push through the resentment I felt at being shamed for not having seen this show because it's like, absolutely, yeah, I'm sorry that I haven't poured dozens of hours into watching this show that's of a genre that I never watch that mm-hmm. has no female characters. No, there's a female character. There is, you're right. And she's gay. There is one female and character. Black. She is a black gay woman. She's also a cop. Mm. And she does do some brutality. So it's not great. Um, but yeah. yeah. So I've been, um, I actually tried to watch The Wire pretty recently. Uh-huh. Um, but by the time I finally got HBO Max through USC, it was like August 2020. <laughs> and I yeah. was like, this is a lot of. I, I I can't I don't really have space in my brain yeah. for the ambiguity of like I like these characters but uh this is a little bit of excessive force yeah and yeah. uh awful this I think a little awful I my thought like going into this was like I don't think Kim would like this based on the the <laughs> like various things you've said about like I don't know movies in the past uh <laughs> I don't think this would work for you I feel like you're saying I have bad taste but no no no, okay. no I'm thinking about I think we were talking about was it boys in the hood or was it uh oh no it was set it off yeah no set it off like yeah. um yeah I I don't vibe with like this life <laughs> it's it's short but it's yeah. awesome and yeah. we're gonna sell drugs and die horribly yeah, by yeah. cops and I'm just like oh god I don't know so it's mostly I think one of the good things about it is that it is I don't know pretty measured in all of its well that's it's a neutral thing about it like it, it really flip-flops back and forth on whether I I I don't know I'm like whether or right not brutality is okay I mean it's very it's trying to like present it very neutrally like as you said like they're hmm. All, all of the cops are bad like quite literally all all of them a are bad. cab yeah um but it's and it's not show, trying to show that is like justified because it also shows like the effects that like the people who suffer from that like kind of mm-hmm. been dealing with that but it's also I don't it's the same kind of thing with with like Goodfellas and the other kind of oh yeah, yeah the yeah. other canon things where it's like I don't think that you can show this happening in the way that you're showing it without somebody watching and being like, hell yeah. So yeah. I don't know. There's this one character. So I guess I should say, if no, it's like you've never heard of The Wire. The Wire is like, I always thought it was about like The Wire was a nickname for a cop thing, but it's about like them illegally surveilling people. I mean, it's it's legal. Like they're they're getting like warrants and shit for it. But yeah, the okay. the the biggest thing is the idea of surveillance. Um and I like that. I think it's a it's a cool theme to have running throughout the the mm-hmm. show because it's like, first of all, there's like just the constant surveillance they're under all the time just by the cops watching them. There's the wiretaps. There's the the people that they like they gradually get to flip to mm-hmm. turn against the crime organization. So the first season covers uh, an investigation trying to take down um, the uh, biggest drug organization in Is that Idris Westfall. Elba. Edris Elba plays the like second in command to oh. uh, a guy named uh, Avon Barksdale. Um, I don't know the actor's name. I'm sorry, uh, but uh, so yeah, so that's the um, 
that's the plot and it's very like I don't like police procedurals. I don't find them interesting usually. And this isn't even like a whodunit. Like everybody, you know all the characters. There's no like mystery. You know whodunit indeed. You know okay. whodunit. But it's like surprisingly very compelling in a way that I just hyper-realist stuff I think is usually mm. kind of irritating. But because uh, I don't go to the, I don't go to TV for realism. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Where, every time I see Baltimore on screen, I'm like, oh, I, oh, I don't want to be there. <laughs> Jesus um, Christ, it's so cold. Like. <laughs> I, my eyes are getting frostbite yeah there is like the thing that's the worst about it is the guy who's ostensibly I don't want to say he's the main character because it's such an ensemble show but like the guy who's the main it's the white guy who's the not, white guy uh he's, Colin Farrell he's not Colin Farrell he's Dominic West uh oh didn't he play Richard Burton in a movie like a lifetime movie about uh Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton uh, I hope so. I don't know. <laughs> I only know him as the guy who gets killed in Chicago. So um, like in like the first scene, but he, oh he, my God. That is him. Yeah. So anyway, but he is like transparently the only like in this, in this very like going for realism type of show, he's the mm-hmm. only character who's like just a cliche, like mm-hmm. super archetypal, like like alcoholic detective who can't like he's just married to the job and he's so hard-boiled and so like masculine he's like like the only like of like there's not that many white people on the show but like he's the only one who's like young and like masculine and attractive and he's like Mm. like there's a like I don't know he's so fucking annoying like Every single episode, there is a- at least one scene where somebody's like, God damn it, McNulty. I don't like your methods, but you're the best, the goddamn best. And it's so fucking annoying. <laughs> but like, you can see why, like, presumably, like, the like violent white young men who are watching this would probably watch that and be like, hell yeah, McNulty. So, like, that's the that's the kind of good fellows of it all. Uh-huh. Um, and I hate that guy. I'm so bad that he's like in the rest of the show, but the rest of it is uh the rest of it is good I think yeah it's very adjacent to making a good point I think like (laughs) which is sometimes all that you can ask for like it's honestly that is what most of the cinematic television all the canons are like this is lowest common denominator enough that everyone thinks you should like it at least yeah which also means, but it has to be profound enough for people to think it's saying something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very much like, you know, it's very big on like the system is broken kind of like thing. Like, uh, like the police, the police system, uh-huh. like everybody's corrupt. Everybody's uh, out for themselves. Everybody's blah, blah, blah. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you want to just watch and be like, I, I think the system is doing exactly what it was designed to do. But, like, I agree with you that everybody in this system is bad. So, like, we're, you know, <laughs> we can kind of, like, Yeah, I just uh, don't see myself coming to this anytime soon, given that I'm very aware that the system is broken. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it feels very much like an, a show that the early 2000s needed because we were in, like, our sort of, like, post-Rodney King, L.A. riots, mm-hmm. pre-Obama, just, like, should we say something about this? <laughs> Feels like yeah, we should yeah. say something about this, but we don't really want to address it. Oh my God. There's this one scene where, so it's very apparent that like, because of the fact that they're working in like these projects in West Baltimore, which are like pretty homogeneously black, the only cops that can like go undercover are mm-hmm. black cops, which puts them on the front lines of danger much more. 
So this, mm-hmm. so Kima, the only mm-hmm. black woman uh, cop, gets shot, and there's a scene I shit you not where McNulty is with her. She's in her hospital, but he's like, I just, I just hate. Like, I think it's really bad that, like, it's really only the Black cops who are, like, being put in danger here. And he, like, starts to tear up. I swear to God. And she, like, Keep your white tears, McNulty. I was thinking about, I was gonna, I was thinking about this. I was gonna make a reference to Schindler's List, but remember that that's too white a reference for you because you haven't seen it. I haven't seen Schindler's List. It gave me such Schindler's List vibes. There's a scene in Schindler's List where he's like, I could have saved more of them. And all the Jewish people start like hugging him. And it's like, they just came from Auschwitz. I don't think that these are the people you need to start saying this to. Like they start. Um, (laughs) Oh, wow. That's really. Yeah. So it's like you made a good point about who's in more danger here. But. Fuck you also. So. (laughs) You know, it, there's that kind of give and take. Um, uh-huh. So big, big grain of salt. Uh, Would you recommend? Do you be- does this belong in the television canon? I mean, sure. I don't. <laughs> I feel like the television canon should just be like, just fucking watch what you want. All right. There's only so many hours in our lives. And like, again, this is dozens of hours. Only watch it if you want to. Like, don't force yourself to sit through it. Mm-hmm. I don't think like if you don't like it. Try it out. If you enjoy it, if you find it compelling, uh, good. Just remember that all cops are bad, especially McNulty. Fuck McNulty. (laughs) And his methods. And his methods. I mean, all of their methods are bad. And we are back. Um, Brie is here now. So every, Hi, Brie. Oh, everything's better. It's going to be a good day. Uh, it's a great way to start off the morning with with Brie. So last time you were on, we talked about uh, a big idea in games studies, I say as if I know, um, which was empathy and like how people people understand games to foster empathy and identification with the characters. So this time we're talking about a Different, very, very important idea, which would be agency, um, the idea of what choices you are free or not free to make when you play a game. Um, so yeah, I guess to start us off, why is agency an important idea? I mean, on some level, it's kind of obvious because you have to click the buttons and make choices. Yeah. But... Like the thing is literally called a controller, which... <laughs> galaxy brain yeah Yeah. so yeah yeah I think some of it relates to like that basic idea of what you were talking about where like it is what differentiates games like on a very basic level if you're gonna say hey am I like playing a game or watching a movie like Mm -hmm. is there a controller in your hands like how are you interacting with it so that idea of like interactivity agency are kind of those like easy markers of this is what is different mm-hmm. um, and then I think beyond that there's also ideas of like well what do people want in games and a lot of times the answer to that is agency of course they want more agency which is not always correct you know mm-hmm. it's also sometimes I just want somebody to tell me a nice story and click a button or two you know there's a lot of decisions we got to make in life <laughs> well yeah it's interesting. I, because uh, you had back when we were talking about Until Dawn, you referred to it as an interactive movie, which 
I'm now in a class that has touched on game studies, so I'm basically an expert in it. And uh, mm. if I may start talking with about the thing that I have no authority on, uh, I think it's interesting to hear people talk about like, well, Until Dawn isn't really a game. It's more of an interactive movie because that is kind of the discourse. Like it's not a game if you don't have like freedom to make choices. That's what I've heard some people say. And I personally find that discussion uh, extremely boring which is why I'm very glad I'm bringing it up here but like the kind of <laughs> what does what is a game like how does that how do we define that but I think agency is a really important consideration um and I think at some point question. it's interesting to look at well why are we having these conversations why are people looking so keenly to draw this line like does it really mm -hmm. matter if something is interactive fiction or game like what is the significance there and if I may bring in a buzzword. Ooh, we love buzzwords. Oh, I'm so excited. One of the articles we read for the same class Laura's taking that I took a while ago, uh, looked at neoliberalism as a- Whoa. Yeah, I know it's a buzzword I can hardly say. Um, <laughs> looked at that as one of the like sort of cultural values that exists in sort of American society or society. And then also connects to the reasons why we look for this idea of agency because mm -hmm. it places individual focus, like you are the main actor. Sure, someone else designed this game and made all these choices for you and is theoretically providing meaning, but it puts this focus on like, what can I, a singular person do? And mm -hmm. if I get a bad ending or if I mess up, it's kind of on me for either playing it wrong or just engaging with these story choices in a certain way, as opposed to on the game designers for providing those options and providing that. Yeah, I think that actually touches on the discussion of Until Dawn as a interactive movie or is it a game or whatever, because one of the main effects of neoliberalism is this illusion of agency, right? Mm. And so people who are like, well, is it really a game if you can't make choices that like change the out? Like, it's like, don't most games have an either one ending or a certain number of endings, right? So that's you're still working within the like structure or the institution mm -hmm. of the game yeah but then there are some that make you feel a little bit more like you have more agency but it's ultimately not giving you any more agency which is like the main issue of neoliberalism that it's all about like oh no you as an individual have responsibility yeah but then also like deal with all of this uh like structural shit in your way and we're not going to take any uh accountability for that yeah. Yeah. There's something very like kind of patriarchal about it too. One of the things that I, I read recently was kind of about the, you know, the kind of like film study, film theory formulation of like active male, passive female um, kind mm -hmm. of thing from like Laura Mulvey, <laughs> which like obviously has its issues, but there's kind of a, the idea of like the masculine protagonist forging his path who's like making the decisions and like it's very you know it's like hacking his way through the jungle you know when your therapist tells you like but are you the protagonist of you gotta like reframe your like your mentality you, you are the protagonist of your story I don't know if I've had therapists tell me that. I would probably I, uh laugh at their face I have you you know my relationship with my therapist I'd I be like that sounds that dumb anymore so but anyway, <laughs> and of course she was wrong because that is neoliberalism I totally lost Take that uh, Laura's former therapist <laughs> but this is why Until Dawn is a good movie 
game. Game. Great. It's a game. Great. <laughs> okay, so game. agency and games. Agency. We can forge our own path in this podcast. Yes, beautiful. But I think the idea of there is something about like a, the idea of a game as like distinct, truly, truly distinct from a movie, which is like you have an active role in mm. shaping the the text that comes to you like the right like it's like a big bowl of spaghetti noodles the game is a big bowl of spaghetti noodles and you get to choose which strand to pull out and and eat yeah i'm loving the metaphors that we're using so far on this episode (laughs) yeah well that's and i think yeah and i think these ideas with like you have an individual character you're controlling versus a movie of maybe one but maybe many characters you're Mm -hmm. watching and in general the ideas of individualism or collectivism that come up in these conversations around neoliberalism mm-hmm. can tie really nicely into the <gasps> games that I wanted to bring into the conversation. Oh my today. god! Is this our first ever guest segue? Do we? I think we should make a. Bree's like, guys, we need to move this along. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear you talk about games. Yes, <laughs> like patriarchy. You, you had um, two uh, games that you wanted to talk about. Uh, I believe yes. they are Detroit Become Human and Tales of Vesperia. If yes. you wouldn't mind telling us what those are, because we are largely not familiar with them. Yeah, for sure. And I think to give sort of a lens for all of this, one of the main themes that I think is interesting connecting both is looking at themes around how resistance is depicted or given agency within the game. So just Mm. pin that as I begin to describe them to you. Keyword resistance. Um, Got it. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So the first game uh, is Tales of Vesperia. It is from 2008. It is a JRPG or Japanese role-playing game. So within it, you'll control a set of protagonists or you have one main character who's mostly driving the story but you also have eight playable characters and uniquely to our conversations around agency the story is pretty fixed there's not a lot of variability you're mostly just walking through playing the game and um yeah engaging with the story the points of variability might be what scenes you see um these tales games which is a whole franchise from the late or mid 90s to now um are famous or infamous for having like missable side quests or hidden side content um but yeah is that frustrating as a gamer are you like excuse me I wanted to see everything it can be for just a small side pin before we go back one of the things that I think comes up with that is how we consume games Mm. like kind of the modern consumption of games is I have 200 games in my steam library I've played five of them I need to get through them as opposed Mm. to you know, I have one GameCube, I have one game on it, and I'm going to play it multiple times for <laughs> hundreds of hours. Hashtag like that Harvest side- Moon. Yeah. So then that side stuff is fun because you're playing through it again and finding new gems as opposed to, well, I played it once and I missed the main story, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's, that reminds me of the way, because I, I had like an N64 that had like my brother's seven Madden games and then Mario Kart. And so Mario Kart was the only game that I played. And on like the 400th playing of Mario Kart, I was like, I'm so bored with these tracks. Let's go explore what else is going on in this, in this, on this track. So like on Peach's, like Peach's castle, like that one, I was like, I want to go to the castle. Let's see what's going on. So I would just like explore the castle and the game was like, you're in last place. And I was like, I don't care. I'm in the <laughs> castle. So wow. 
Yeah. That's a very I radical approach it. to gaming. Thank you. I am in fact Maybe. a revolutionary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like this will tie in at the denouement. Wow. This wow. conversation. Yeah. yeah. So to move on to Detroit Become Human, uh, this is a game from 2018 by Quantic Dream. The director is David Cage, who has directed some other stuff or is kind of one of those few names you might hear in mm-hmm. game studies or in discourse around games, whereas often it's more authorship centered around a studio. But his name comes up. Um, and in this game, you are looking at sort of an android revolution, potentially. You Starring control- Jesse Williams? Just checking. Perhaps. Is he a light-skinned Black dude with a bald head? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's him. And Kim said she didn't know anything about I know a Kim. thing or two. Okay. Okay, I also I'll know a thing about, or two about distracting uh, my IT keepers, so... Continue, Professor. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, basically you'll have three control book protagonists. They're all androids that have coding where they have to basically do what they're told. They are robots. And at key moments throughout the game, they're given the choice to become deviant, I think is the word they use to describe it, where they basically can break free and have autonomy. And depending on the choices you make in the game, you can have a big revolution at the end, or you can have one of the big choices is, are you going to be violent or peaceful at one point? So there's more agency or more choices over how the narrative will unfold within this game. Um, It also has a mechanic where after each section or chapter or periodically you can check in on your choices and it will show you Mm -hmm. where they all branched and ones you haven't done are grayed out, but it will show you like, hey, look, you made a choice. You made a choice. You made a choice. Like, constantly if you want it or at the end of a arc. Okay. So this actually is really, really relevant to a question that I wanted to bring in when you said like, you can choose to be violent or peaceful at one point. And it ties back mm-hmm. into neoliberalism, which mm-hmm. is obvi- like, that's kind of the false choice that neoliberalism posits. Like wow. you get it all the time with the like Malcolm X versus Martin Luther King. Like one was the bad violent one and one was the good peaceful one. And it's not usually a choice that you can make in an instant. So when it comes up in the game, is it like a throw this Molotov cocktail or like craft pet a like dog. knit? Yeah. yeah, like knit pink <laughs> pussy hats uh, with your with your book club. Like, how does that choice come up? And then the idea that it's branching, like that makes me think that maybe you're able to see how choices like compound into a more violent revolution or a more peaceful revolution. What's happening? Yeah. yeah. So prior to the moment where you actually make the choice, there are some other choices you can make. Like at one point you're, I think, breaking other androids free and then you like graffiti the town square and you can decide what messaging you want to put on there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also different, I think, lines of recruitment. And so basically mm-hmm. prior to directly saying, okay, we're going to be peaceful. We're going to be violent. Oh, so it is like a one choice moment though. Yes. So there is a one choice moment, but the game prior to that has sort of, hinted at it or suggested mm-hmm. it but it it isn't one of the games where and there are games that kind of will measure your collective choices and then when they get you get to the end be like great this is the ending it's not one of those mm-hmm. in this case it is like you can make choices along the way and then once you get to this point it is a sort of binary decision that you can do in the minute wow does the uh like does the game kind of privilege one choice over the other does it like get to the violent ending and you're like you should have been peaceful violence is never the answer (laughs) yeah this is where I think 
it is very interesting how this game being a game engages with these themes in as much mm -hmm. as you are controlling three main characters. So in terms of how these forms of resistance affect the world, I would say it's somewhat arguable. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of how they affect the characters, it's a little more murky or a little more, you sort of have to commit to a path, I would say. Mm -hmm. And even mm -hmm. then you put your characters in more danger in the violet option. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But basically if you commit to the peaceful path and make the choices right, all your characters live and it's like, yay, you got the good ending. And then I haven't- Do the through... androids still get rights though? Yes. Oh, so this game is lying to us about society. Uh, maybe a little, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think there is something to the ending, whereas like some endings are like, cool, the androids have like taken over Detroit and this is our state as opposed to like, we're going to mm -hmm. keep working together. So there's something about, are we working separately or with mm -hmm. the systems? Mm -hmm. I Very mean, interesting. It's interesting the way that sort of having this, whether you want to call it agency or like just the kind of illusion of agency affects affects like or how it deals with your personal politics i remember there's there's a sort of a not similar game but like interesting thing to bring in it's infamous which i don't know if you played Bree, but it's you know it's a game about a a guy who gets superpowers and the whole thing of the game is that you can choose to use them for good or evil and uh you have to pick like they mm. are very very clear like you get you can like advance uh down one path or the other and it compounds and so if you can like technically stay in the middle but you are way way weaker if you if you choose to do so like if you mm -hmm. went down the evil path you cannot then choose to help a crowd of people you must kill them and it's like it's I mean it's like a, it was a popular game but like that was I think a huge issue of it when I tried to play it because it's like my personal politics do not privilege like always always one of these two options mm -hmm. like it's it's always gonna be a bit more gray than that I think most people would agree so that kind of feels like like that feels really profound though because you do get to a point where like you can be a medium good person and go start like making choices that you're like this works this is fine like this it works with my personal morality mm -hmm. And then you get to a point where you're in a situation where you're like, I don't look, I don't watch many Scorsese movies as we've discussed in Cannon Fodder, but it feels like the plot of a Scorsese movie when you're like, I'm good, but I just do bad things sometimes. And then they're like, no, you actually have to kill this crowd of people. Your choices leading up to this moment have eliminated all other options. Right. But it's a similar thing, like to be the, to do the good path, you must consistently choose to knit the pink pussy hat you must consistently choose to like <laughs> instead of inciting a riot you must do the peaceful thing mm -hmm. and like that mm -hmm. like it kind of like hammers you into this position that it's like yeah. but I don't want to do that in this situation yeah. and uh yeah I don't know it's confusing. and it's it's really interesting Brie because you mentioned that like leading up to the peaceful revolution violent revolution choice you also, you're like freeing the androids, you're graffitiing the town square. And depending on what news channel you watch, one would already call that either peaceful or violent. Mm -hmm. So if oh. you make the choice to like spray paint the town square, that's what some people would be like, look at this violent revolution. Mm -hmm. To bring in 
the the my political science major which i only get to bring up like Ooh, once every every okay, year okay. beat a scotch pole who is a problematic i know but she defines revolution as inherently violent you cannot have peaceful revolution mm. that is antith antithetical to the term revolution so anyway sorry mm. i just wanted to i need, I need to I slip it in. i also did political point. science yeah. i remember very few things from it <laughs> yeah I would love to bring into the conversation this Tales of Vesperia game. Oh, yeah. Because I think talking about Detroit Become Human, this idea of you have to commit to being peaceful. And if you do violent options on the peaceful path, you're not going to get as good of an ending. And I keep putting this in air quotes that we can maybe discuss <laughs> later. Yeah. Um, and then similarly with the violent, if you do some peaceful things, again, you'll basically you'll have more of your main characters die, which I think is whether or not there are good or bad endings in games, if you're controlling a character and they die, that feels bad. So I think Detroit Become Human kind of sets up sort of two pretty extreme options. And Tales of Vesperia, one of the things I really liked about this game is it's basically the opposite. One of the, I'd say, main subplots or even main plots in the game sort of concerns two characters and this is sort of medieval setting so both were knights and then one has left the knight's force and they have frequent conversations within this game about basically how do we bring justice to people who have done wrong and there are moments where the protagonist Yuri will go out and just murder someone and be like look they were not going to see justice through our justice systems like they would have gotten mm. off, it would have been okay, and they murdered a bunch of people and we can't have that happening. And then there'll also be moments where this other character he's talking to will be like, yeah, but we want to get the system to the point where they would be. So it's this very almost even-handed back and forth between the two of them mm. about like, there are both sort of the positive and negative stereotypes of working within or working against the system. So it's like a... Is restorative justice on the table at all? Is there like a maybe we don't murder the guy, but we like talk with the families about how to create some sort of like you can't replace a human life, but how do we rehabilitate this person? Is that involved? I, I would understand if it's not. It's kind of complicated. Yeah, I don't think it's ever explicitly brought up, but it is the sort of like I think compromise option that the mm -hmm. game is sort of looking to find or circling around within its conversations and gameplay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how does agency so like factor into that versus Detroit become human? I guess. Yeah, this is where I think Vesperia is interesting because you don't have any agency. Like all of these conversations are cutscenes, oh. basically. Oh. Like even when you are killing politicians in this game, which happens like twice, but they are pretty notable moments. It's not like combat sequence of like beat them up. It's just like your character goes out at night and you watch a cutscene of them killing someone. And then mm. later there's a cutscene of the two guys saying like, so that was illegal, you know? <laughs> hey, hey, buddy, I just want to like you know check this. up on something. Um, <laughs> let's just like do a debrief on last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, so do you get to murder people in that one with your with your controllers, with your little game hands? Yes and no. You kind of have combat like all the time with sort of like monsters and like less ah. objectively good or bad people. And then in terms of boss fights, you will fight them, but then you will kind of get a cutscene that's like, okay, you defeated them, but they may or may not have died. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes ah. it will be like you defeated them and then they 
fell off a cliff or something that makes more narrative sense, <laughs> but like you defeated them in combat, but you did not kill them, but they are dead. So we don't have to worry about them. That weird Batman, like, I'm I not going to kill, kill you. And save you. I don't have to save you. Yeah. Whoosh. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tie this into the good versus bad ending? Yeah, that I... was what I was going to ask. Go ahead. Okay, cool. Uh, so it seems like both of these games take this stance, which is really interesting that by compromising, whether or not you're compromising um, as a in a sort of like violent, more retributive sense to do a quote unquote good or like more peaceful or more like dialogue centered solution, right? If you compromise from the quote unquote bad side to the good side, or if you compromise from the good side where you're being peaceful and then use means to get what you want that are more violent or that compromise your morals. Regardless, you get a less positive outcome in the game. Like your characters die or there's, uh, I don't know, a really long cutscene where someone's like, hey, don't kill people. Yeah, I would say this is definitely true in Detroit Become Human. Mm -hmm. I think less so in Tales of Vesperia because you don't have the choice Mm -hmm. and because the way the game treats it is a little more of a discussion um Mm -hmm. how many endings are there for tales just one it's just one path right yeah so there is not true of all tales games but for that one yeah you just play through the story right so there isn't like a good or bad ending there's just the ending Mm -hmm. and then you get to kind of walk away from it and be like how did i feel about that ending versus detroit become human which is like which one should I pick? Which is <laughs> and, a very different yeah. thing. And there are moments within the Tales game of each side acknowledging the merits and weaknesses of the others. Like they are challenging each other, but there is also a moment where the like person who is like working with the knights is like, yeah, you did stop him from killing people. And I like justice on my end would have taken way longer, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there is an acknowledgement of like that maybe was morally gray but also did put good into the world yeah Mm. so i mean put good into the world versus take bad out of the world sure i don't think like i guess yeah which is uh i think probably just as net positive but (laughs) (laughs) yes no i see what you're saying there yeah yeah Detroit Become Human is like, pick a thing. And Tales of, the thing is, I keep hearing you say Suspiria. So I'm imagining this <laughs> taking place in like the German it ballet is. school. So it's nice. like a teen ballerina versus like a bunch of old witches. But whatever's mm-hmm. actually happening in that game, that's more <laughs> of a sort of like philosophical meditation. Yeah. So when we do get to this ending, I mean, Laura, this is kind of what you wanted to bring up, right? Like what constitutes a good or bad ending also like not only just from your perspective as a gamer but uh, from a narrative or character perspective because I imagine like if if I was a revolutionary and gave a shit enough to like put my life on the line which like at the moment not really sorry um and I thought that there was I would just just for the record (laughs) okay so Laura is an ally (laughs) Kim's a race traitor and Brie does so game studies. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> okay, the episode, uh, I think. <laughs> if 
I was in that position, like I'm sure the characters written as such would probably be like, you know, I think as this character with this set of morals to die would be worth making that compromise toward either being peaceful or pushing the revolution forward in a violent means. Like, do they, do you know what I'm saying? This is a really complex question. Yeah, I think I can start to say some things about how people quantify good or bad endings, either individually or kind of within, you know, articles or like yeah, because the journal. sensation of dying as in in a game. Yeah. like I, I did D and D once, and my character died, and I was like devastated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and, and I, I think, didn't take it well. Yeah, and I think that is where you can say like, oh, there's you know, this character's politics; they would want to die, or they'd be willing to die for a cause. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is something about as a player you are controlling the characters so there's a level of in some cases and occasions did I win or lose based on Mm -hmm. did the character Mm -hmm. die or not um and there's also the matter of accessing story content within the game which is not always true in these games but there can Mm -hmm. be a this character died so now you have a third less game because this character is not in it so you're not seeing any of their scenes so there's also narrative consideration of is this being glamorized or is you know our character you know there are ways the game can make you feel like you made a good or bad choice within it's like how it depicts Mm -hmm. an ending not but i think there is some moral code yeah Yeah. i think there is something to you know the structure as well in terms of you're playing them and what content you get to access yeah, I was thinking about this um, with with playing a game where you are asked to make choices for the character, where I tend to be torn between usually four different impulses. What would like what would Laura do in this situation? What do I think the character that has already been established? What would they do? Um, what is the most morally correct thing to do? And uh, what is like best for the narrative to like what would be the most narratively interesting thing to do and those are sometimes four completely different options and it's hard because like a they're not always consistent but b like if i think it'd be most narratively interesting to do the bad decision and like i want to see how this plays out then if it ends and the game is essentially telling me like you you played that wrong like you making that choice like or like if i make the choice based on like what what would i do based on my personal politics and values and that it ends like the game is like you you didn't do that right that's kind of what the messaging is even if it's not even if I don't have to take it that way it does kind of complicate like how I make those decisions um I hate making those those choices I I want to just be spoon fed this is why I do films I want to be spoon fed the character stuff too many choices in real life too much agency (laughs) (laughs) I don't like it And like that's the confession scene in Fleabag where she's just like, I want somebody to tell me what to wear, who to vote for, like who to, no, I I, I can make that decision. Sorry. Okay. Please keep going. So maybe this would be a good time to, I guess, talk about like kind of what Laura was saying about, is there a right or wrong way to play games at the beginning? Or is there Mm -hmm. like how games set up, this is the good and this is the bad option. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think to some extent it's, a it's a game like you should play it how you want to play it Mm, right mm -hmm. and if you're deriving meaning from it like ultimately that is valuable Mm -hmm. but then of course I don't want to also undercut the responsibility of like if a designer says you must 
do this option and there's no more game if you don't do this option. Obviously there is a responsibility, I think on both ends, like to design something that creates meaning in a way, as well as to say, I've been given something and I can also bring what I want to it and play it how I want to play it. I also, I think there's like, whether or not the game is telling you what to do or like whatever, like the individual player feels about it. I think there's also kind of a very like culturally contingent idea of like how game, like how to do a game right. Um, just to bring in a movie that boils my blood, there's a scene in the social network where like a bunch, a, a couple of like stoned girls are playing a first person shooter game in Sean Parker's apartment. And he's like telling, like, he's like, what guns are you using? And they're like, we don't know. We're just shooting. We're just mashing the buttons, which is how I play. And he's like, you should use these guns, right? He's telling her like, what, like what game, right? Uh, like how to play the game better, even though they're like having a good time. And it's, I mean, it's mm-hmm. very gendered obviously because they're playing an FPS, which is like kind of a very, I don't know. Single person shooter. For, yeah, first person shooter, yeah. And they're- Oh, you uh, said F. I yeah, said STS and I was like, the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, That's okay. Um, but like the, the idea of like, how to play a game are you playing it right is there a good or a bad ending that's both an individual uh choice and like a way that you engage individually with the game when you play it but there's also the more social and cultural um dimension to that question which is like how are you playing this in a social space or how do you talk about it with other people because if i tell Mm -hmm. people like yeah i don't i I like playing mario kart because i like exploring peach's castle that's like I don't know, somebody will be like, that's obviously wrong. You're meant to compete to win the game and like mm-hmm. to win the race. And that's, that's wrong. But like, I don't know. But it's a game. But it's, a, but I want to engage with it how, <laughs> how I choose. I don't know. I mean, do you play these games socially or do you play them individually? Yeah, for me, I usually play socially. And I do think especially for like choice-based games like Detroit Become Human, there is an element of that that's encouraged or is at least there. I don't think that game specifically is like, ah, 50% of players chose this option, but that is a common thing Mm -hmm. to like sort of show you how you're doing relative to other people. Mm -hmm. And I know that element of social play in Detroit Become Human was also a factor of like my experience playing it. Like we got to this choice point and my friends were like, we need to do the peaceful option. We need to do the good ending. And I'm like, but I want to know how this game will reward violence if it will. And now I'm not engaging in that way and then listening to my friends say we got the good ending because we were peaceful and I'm like well but what if mm-hmm. you know <laughs> whereas yeah. there's also yeah. what the game is offering you I, how many options are there for and then nothing happens right so your friends got the good ending because they were peaceful and you got I guess the less good ending because you made the, and a choice toward a more violent path right in playing, though, do you have the expectation that regardless of what choice you make, the androids are going to get rights? Whereas in real life, the genuine question is, will this outcome, like, will we get the desired outcome mm, without making yeah. the violent choice or without making the peaceful choice? If you're playing a game, that is narratively constructed and you have that awareness. And I think that changes, like if I was playing, I wouldn't be like, so we're getting rights at the end, right? Okay, I'll just do it the nice way. Um, You know, if you have that expectation that changes how you make the choice. In the real world, no one has already narrativized your path toward 
Android rights. Yeah. I think that's a really good point, especially because playing a lot of these choice-based games, even though you have choices, there is often an expectation or an understanding that there is only so much content that like it will branch, but often it will branch back to the same points at mm-hmm. least a few times. Mm-hmm. I'd be really interested to see what, because Detroit Become Human came out when? 2018? Yeah. You said? That is a super interesting time politically and in relation to revolution and discussions of revolution um, in the U.S., to be clear. I wonder the extent to which seeing how people made those choices, like, I wonder the extent to which gaming influences certain groups' comprehension or, or understanding of revolution. And if you would be able to track, because like that's that's the thing we talk about with media, like representations of revolution in cinema. I'm very familiar. I'm with I'm like, okay, this representation of revolution in this movie is good or bad and creates this or that like expectation of revolution and understanding of like struggles for rights. Right. Mm hmm. I'm very away from the gaming world. So I don't know the extent to which that like, like if a movie is like that touches millions and millions of people's lives and everybody watches it and that can really impact how you think about revolution. How much does that happen on the level of a game? And basically, I just want to know what the decisions were in 2018 and if they changed it all. And if we could use that to track like, how do, how does this population feel about revolution? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know if anything like that exists in terms of like following the like, sociological perspective however I do think there's also something within that to like is also this game challenging or enforcing the ideas Mm. that you already have whereas if you're like if you're playing Detroit Become Human and you're like I want the peaceful option and I'm rewarded for doing the peaceful option that's sort of enforcing what you're thinking whereas my experience playing Tales of Vesperia was it's showing you both sides to some extent and you know, however much you want to listen is however much you want to listen, but it's not, you know, making you actively say, I'm choosing this option, choosing this option, and then being rewarded or punished for it. It's mm-hmm. more of let me listen and think about what do I think is right here, mm-hmm. but I'm not actually committing to a decision and being, you know, rewarded for it. So, like, do you have a, a place where you land with respect to these two games? Like, do you think that one of them does it better or is like better at asking, at like provoking thought or like asking these questions? Or is it kind of like, well, each they're just different and you engage with them differently and that's valuable. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think for me, it would come down to what is like easier to engage with or what you should come in with preconceived notions with. Like, Because for me, the Tales game kind of presents ideas and allows you to engage with them however you want. So I feel like that's really interesting and you can sort of, you know, have thoughts and make what you want of it. Whereas with Detroit Become Human, I could see there's value there if you're like, well, I want to test out these ideas I have about revolution and resistance. So I don't... Games as a site to rehearse... (laughs) moral standards oh that that's interesting there is a there's a rpg from like 1999 that i have on my computer that i played as a kid i've played it many times and you can always 
there's always the option to kill villagers like the in the the people in the towns that you're that you're in like if you just you can swing a sword at them and they'll die I mean, that's also always an option in real life too that's a good point <laughs> so like i haven't gamed it out <laughs> this is going down a darker path that i meant to go down i don't know where i thought i was going with this sorry that's on me that's on me <laughs> um anyway uh I, I got us off track again. I'm so sorry, Brie. You were like <laughs> tying it all together and I just cut through the knot that you were tying. Um, with a sword. With a sword. Into, into a villager. peasant heart. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, now I feel, I haven't done it yet. <laughs> Remove the sword. <laughs> so if you were to wrap this up, because yeah, we really did. please. <laughs> we really have got <laughs> all over the place. Back. I think ultimately what I would leave these games with or want to leave people to leave these games with is sort of that idea there's not a right way to play. There's not a better version of a game. They offer very different things and different ways to engage with them. But I also think, and as we've kind of picked apart and dug into a little bit in this episode, especially with the choice-based games, I think it's interesting to take a step back if or when you can from this character deeply emotionally investing with and playing as if you can then take a step back and say well what is the game saying is good or bad or right or wrong and are these coming from the game or are these coming from me or are these coming from the friends I'm playing with like because mm. I think you can find value in looking at what those moral systems are if you're thinking about where it's all coming from instead of just what is the binary right wrong option damn <laughs> that was awesome Media Literate is a collaborative podcast produced by Colton Elsie, Sebastian Vertzreiner, Laura Broman, Kim Henry, Julia Rose Camus, and Julia Elizabeth Evans. This episode was edited by Sabrina Sonner. Our theme music is Soft Feeling by Cheel and our logo was created by Julia Camus. But yeah, I think like the idea of how to play a game correctly is, I think the garbage truck that was earlier in Bree's neighborhood made it over to our neighborhood. So that's fine. Oh, we share a garbage truck. That's that's beautiful. You know, the LA really is just one big town, right? Like um, <laughs> one big neighborhood. Anyway, um, but there are, I don't know, like we do have these ideas of what is the right or wrong way to engage with something. Fuck me, gently with a chainsaw. <laughs> I think we're just going to sit here and wait. <laughs>